Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hi there, I'm Tzvi Spivak, and I'm recording live from the Human Factors and Ergonomic Society annual meeting. Uh, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Anne Bessant, um, former professor in industrial systems engineering at the University at Buffalo, New York, uh, currently dean of undergraduate education there, and was or is senior VP for academic affairs in the Institute of Industrial Systems Engineering? I was. Was. Okay, and um, I was also on the executive council of the Human Factors and Ergonomic Society. But you were mentioning earlier that you've currently, or you've recently stepped down from these positions and you're sort of just just on the editorial just on the editorial board of the uh, human factors journal now so over a bunch of years I did a variety of different roles within the human factors and ergonomic society which is exciting and has been a great part of my career but with my recent shift to senior administration at the university I've cut back a little bit on those positions um, but still maintained a role uh, helping out with uh, on the editorial board of two of the journals for human factors so would you say that generally you've kind of stepped back from your more technical work and kind of more on the oversight, supervisory management of work? and Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, so I'm able to do some, uh, still continue with some research projects. I have some ongoing research collaborations with uh, people in emergency medicine, and that is sort of a fun thing for me to, fun and interesting thing for me to, a way to keep contributing to the field and to work with graduate students. Um, and to continue to make some scientific contributions. But at the same time, most of my day-to-day -day work is related to university administration and oversight of undergraduate curriculum. Okay. So on that note, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be in this position of okay. uh, overseeing undergraduates from an undergraduate yourself. Okay. That's interesting. So yesterday I was actually on a panel that um, uh, that came out of some work that the Executive Council at uh, Human Factors was doing on how to best support mid-career academics. So I was invited to be on a panel to talk about different pathways past your mid-career. Um, so I actually you know, said, said a few things about this yesterday in that panel. Um, I think that as I moved through university uh, being a professor, I always participated in different aspects of administration, whether that was helping to do the accreditation of our undergraduate uh, engineering program in industrial engineering, moving on to be our undergraduate program director, which meant dealing with uh, both student advising and curriculum management and development. Then eventually I became department chair, which is a great job because you get to learn about almost all aspects of the university. You don't really worry about the dorms and the food and really not athletics, but you worry about faculty, you worry about students, you learn something about finances. So there's a lot of part, uh, research finances, uh, curriculum, you know, how the, well in a state system, how the different aspects of the university get funded. Um, you get to hire and mentor junior faculty, which is a really, um, really gratifying part of being a department chair. Uh, and watching junior faculty progress in their careers. And then it's, uh, at our university, uh, those are term positions. So I was completing my second term, which was about the amount of time that most people stay as chair. And the opportunity came up to apply for this position um, that, that was university-wide in undergraduate education. So I made that choice to apply and was chosen to do that. So I'm almost um, just about two years in oh. when I start uh, to, in that position. 
Do you find that you have uh, used principles of industrial engineering to perform this job? That seems like it's, I mean, involves systems. You've got faculty, you've got students, and you're lighting up yeah, already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, I, I sometimes say uh, I'm, I feel more like an industrial engineer in this job than I ever did even as chair of industrial and systems engineering because you really are. I mean, you're thinking about all these different system components, whether it's parts of the curriculum, different aspects of the university, how there's people, there's money, there's information, and that's what IEs manage, right? So. Um, and every once in a while, I still get to look at some data and make graphs, which makes me excited, even though I shouldn't be sort of worrying about that level of minutia all the time, but still, I, it's my sort of my, my fun hobby. I like looking at, uh, uh, working with the people who collect up institutional data and look at it. Hmm. It's little things, I guess, that... Yeah, that I mean, it's fun for me to yeah. do that, right? Nice. Yeah. Um, so, you have a variety of experience in a variety of different domains. Mm -hmm. um, health, you mentioned healthcare. Yep. Um, I know you have a talk on, or you had a talk on mobile mental health technology. Yeah, so one um, of my, that's really a work that one of my graduate students, um, it's, it's in her field. She actually came to us with a, a PhD already in clinical psychology. And so she was marrying this interest in human factors and app development with her background. So, um, so I don't have the expertise in the mental health that comes directly from the student that I'm mentoring. Oh, nice. Which is, a, you know, it's a nice collaboration. For sure. Yeah. And it just got me thinking, uh, we mentioned, and I believe your, you, all three of your degrees are in industrial engineering? They are. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I went to University of Toronto where mm -hmm. Human Factors oh, okay. was a, a yeah. stream of yeah. industrial engineering. Sure. Um, but I don't know if that's the case in all schools, and I know you went to UFB and then Georgia Tech. Yeah, I went to G Georgia Tech for a PhD, and we were in the industrial engineering department there, also the okay. uh, Center for Human Machine Systems. So how did you? So I guess the name of itself kind of lends to my question, but yeah. how did you end up in the human factors field? Because industrial engineering, I mean, it encompasses quality control, it encompasses big data, it encompasses ergonomics. Oh, so yeah, many many things. Many things. So. Um, so uh, I had an early influence in my life. My aunt is a human factors person. She's at, uh, a fellow of the Human Factors oh. Society. Yeah. So, uh, Same Sarah, last name? Uh, no, different last name. Sarah Saja. Okay. So, well, uh, and she is an amazing researcher in the field of aging and gerontology, uh, particularly with how uh, older adults and their caregivers interface with technology. Great. Okay. Sorry, so, so having yeah. that influence yeah. uh, professionally, but as well as familially, like yeah, she was yeah, always so around and you can talk right, to her so whenever, I, Yeah, so. so I learned about the field and I went into industrial engineering and I, you know, I, I liked the sub-discipline of human factors, so I stayed in that and, uh, you know, we uh, see each other professionally, I mean, we see each other personally all the time, but every once in a while we're at the same conferences together, which is fun. Nice. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to ask about the other talk that you're here for today, and that's a poster today, yep. right? And that's mm -hmm. on positive bias in the trust in automated systems? That isn't, nope, no? not me. Okay. Okay. My bad. No, that's okay. I apologize. So, so what's, your, what's your talk today on in the poster session? Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I think there's a poster talking about, or there's a talk talking about a, a paper that uh, I put out with some students uh, and other faculty a very long time ago. That's the one you're thinking of, but. I'll blame it on the HFES uh, mobile app. Oh, really? Interesting. Might, okay. Yeah. Or, or my, anyway. Okay. Uh, no, <laughs> bad usability, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, so my poster, so I'm in the poster session today that they do, so the Human Factors Fellows are invited to come and give posters about uh, sort of their, their recent work. So I have a poster that 
uh, describes the work I've been doing in emergency medicine for about the last 15 years. So kind of from how we started out doing field studies of how technology was changing from manual whiteboards where pe they would write and document information about patients with whiteboard marker on a, on a whiteboard to the new modern sort of uh, patient tracking systems that are integrated with electronic health records in emergency medicine. And so we've been looking at different ways to, um, well, we first started out looking at through some field studies what that transition from sort of a manual to electronic technology meant to people or, or how it in impacted people. Um, and then did some work to have, have had ongoing studies looking at using cognitive work analysis methods to understand the kinds of decisions and the kinds of information that uh, caregivers in emergency medicine actually need to, to have to manage the work of emergency medicine care and how to uh, best display that information. Whoa. Yeah. Sounds like a bridging of many different, because I know you, you have work in some, you have work in trust and automated systems mm -hmm. as well, and you did that yep. with Colin Drury. Yeah, a long time um, ago. Developing yep. a scale, he was telling me about that, and yep. I think okay. listeners, if you uh, yeah, yeah. check out that episode, you can find right. that. But you've also done some work on displaying uncertainty information yep. in, in many That's domains, right? right? In many and, so, yep. and so does that relate as well to how practitioners in the field would now perceive information that's electronic and rather than, you know, does that change their trust of a whiteboard versus? It, it certainly could. So the work I did in uh, uncertain information display was, m uh, at least the domain area we were working more in was in sort of military command and control and not, and those concepts in terms of using different graphical methods to uh, represent the level of uncertainty or other forms of meta information like age or uh, source of information. Um, that hasn't necessarily been applicable within the emergency medicine context, um, but the kinds of work that we've done there is more related to how uh, say how uh, nurses and physicians that are managing large groups of patients and trying to figure out how they're flowing through the different stages of care in emergency medicine, how they're tracking how that flow is going and where there might be holdups and what is, what it's going to take to sort of get patients treated and stabilized in, but in a way that um, allows the care to proceed efficiently but um, ensuring safety for the patient. So, um, it's not so much about, say, individual data values and what those data values are, which is what the uncertainty work is more related to. Okay, so this is sort of a maybe bigger picture or more case management. And then we have some follow-on work that's looked at trying to bring all relevant information about one patient together in, a, in an integrated view that supports uh, shared awareness across different kinds of caregivers, supports communication across caregivers, but kind of pulls together information in a way that you can either see, well, what orders are pending or all the things that have happened to a patient or get sort of almost like tweets or a, t a feed about the most recent information, the most recent thing that's happened to that patient. So, uh, and I've, that's been a long-term collaboration with uh, the National Center for Human Factors in Healthcare, and part of the uh, MedStar Research Institute. So you're, de you're dealing with a lot of data from different mm -hmm. sources yeah. and trying to integrate that into a meaningful, and this has to be efficient because they, they need to make, they're working quickly and right. they need to make these decisions quickly and they can't afford to have uh, lack of trust in these systems and right. so and they don't want to we don't want people to have to sort of dig in and find things all over the place and then miss it right right so trying to bring the right information together at the right time 
Oh. And is this where your passion lies in, in healthcare? I mean, I know you put out a book on cognitive systems engineering in healthcare, yeah, right? And so, yeah, we were able to bring together actually a number of different researchers, so that's just not my work. That was an edited book, so we had a variety of people contributed to that. Okay. She's humble yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, neat. Yeah. Um, so, so right now, I think um, that's the, in my current role, um, having uh, that that one kind of substantive project, and some I have great collaborators, and I, it's been you know our, my students have really benefited from being able to work with great physicians and other uh, collaborators in cognitive engineering. So that's uh, sort of a nice thread for me to keep going Very alongside nice. this other my other job. And it, it's a nice bridge of I mean it's, it seems like it's not the epitome, but industrial engineering, but human factors applications within that, and yeah, it involves right. operations research, right, and um, decision visualization. Well, yeah, I wouldn't say that we do. Um, I wouldn't say that there's OR specifically, although we've had a little more on this current project, um, some forays into uh, big data and machine learning, and trying to figure out if there's ways that we can inform our displays with some algorithmic results. Yeah. Just super uh, useful right. in the coming age of just automation, AI, right? right. Machine learning, and yeah, that's great. Do you have any experience, or uh, have you any work with with AI? Uh, in that? Uh, um, no, not really. Okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. Neat. Yeah. Um, switching gears a bit, um, do you have any regrets along the way of your career path? I mean, you seem like you're you're very happy about yeah. all the work you've done and passionate. And I mean, is there anything you wish you would have done, or you know? Um, Okay, so this is like a much longer ago regret, okay. um, and I, I have said this, uh, I, I say it to my own daughter, and I've said it to uh, other students in another context. I wish that I had done some kind of study abroad experience, so there's undergraduate lis undergraduates listening. I think they should definitely do it if they have the opportunity. I know it doesn't always fit, and it's not always easy and affordable, but if people can take advantage, can explore those opportunities, that's one thing I wish that I had done. And do you think that would have been, I mean, is it just like for fun and sort of exposure to different yeah, cultures? Yeah, I think exposure. Or is it the, like, yeah. And the collaboration that Right, and, and yeah, and, and sort of learning about different cultures and so on. And I think that's a really valuable experience for our, our students to get um, in an age when there's so much integration across uh, international. I mean, it's so much yeah. more accessible also right. nowadays, yeah. right? Nice. Yeah, and it used to be much harder for students, at least in engineering, to take advantage of those opportunities. And I think that there's been more pro more programs and more opportunities for students, even in pretty structured curriculum, to get that kind of experience. Very nice. Yeah. Um, and I think I got a couple more questions sure. here for you. Um, do you have any messages specifically for young females that are listening uh, in the field? I mean, oh yeah, I, okay. It's, I, I, as industrial engineering, it's, I know it's relatively more female heavy than other disciplines, sure. industrial and chemical, in my experience. Mm -hmm. Biomedical is a big, is a big uh, draw right now yeah. for, um, and environmental also for young women. I, you know, I, I hesitate to um, say, okay, if you're a young woman, these are the fields of engineering that you should look at, because I think that um, often what, and again, this is a little, um, it, it, it doesn't have to be the reason that you're drawn to different fields, but some people are looking for ways to make an impact on society. And what I want to stress about all engineering careers, it doesn't really matter if you're in electrical or mechanical or industrial or biomedical, whatever it is, um, you're solving like really important problems. So are you worrying about clean water? Are you worrying about making 
healthcare system safer? Are you worrying about making new technologies so that people don't get infections in their joints? Whatever it is, but that um, engineering might seem sort of very divorced from those real world real world applications when you're just starting out because you're taking calculus and chemistry and physics and you're not seeing the big picture, but um, exploring what the real impacts are of, you know, it, if you look around the world, everything that you're seeing, engineers have had a hand in making, no matter what kind of engineering it is, right? So thinking about the most critical problems today, go to the National Academy of Engineering website. They have a list of these grand challenges, like the biggest problems that are facing our world and how engineering is contributing to those. And so I think that can be appealing to people, to, to young people. So you might not think, oh, you know, and the other thing that this very stereotypical idea of engineering is that everybody like sits in cubicles and doesn't talk to any anybody else, right? right. Um, and that you have to be like antisocial and you have to wear kind of ugly clothes <laughs> or whatever it is, all right? <laughs> and I mean, that's just, it's completely not true. I know like, you know, there's like, yeah, exactly. Like yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, dressed. we're dressed <laughs> fabulously, right? So that, um, you know, that uh, women and men, so I don't, I don't mean to, you know, say this just in, in a gendered way, but that um, engineers are really passionate people and they're making a difference in the world and they're doing it, um, I, I think it's really meaningful and so sort of understanding that you don't have to be in this sort of like cubicle box solving equations that aren't meaningful to people or whatever I mean that's not what engineers really do even if that's kind of the stereotype coming in um, I did a uh, I, I was a, a participated in a program talking about uh, sort of a similar topic, how what people think about in, uh, engineering or, or STEM careers and what they're actually like. And um, people were so surprised to learn that one of the top things that employers want from uh, students coming out of engineering backgrounds is good communication skills. And that's just not at all what the sort of stereotyped perception of what engineers what an engineering career was going to be like. It's like, no, you have to communicate all the time, right? You have to tell people why the problems you're solving are valuable. You have to tell people why the solutions that you're trying to deploy are the right solutions, what impacts that they're going to have, how much it's going to cost, and why that's a valuable uh, use of money, use of money and time. So I think it's... Um, People shouldn't be scared off by the fact that there's technical content. If you like doing that, but you also want to have these impacts, I think it's a great opportunity and great careers. Yeah. And that's yeah. in line. That's in line with your recommendation earlier about going abroad, and or your yeah. regret rather about going abroad and making those connections and right. getting out there. And, yeah. and like you said, I think there are opportunities to if if it's not your strong suit, or if you prefer not to, you could. You know, you can choose not to, but but typically in the workforce now, it kind of demands it, and it right. sort of it's it. You know, it's good to have those skills and right. to, to do that. Yeah. Learn a language if that if you Learn have that opportunity, yeah. right? So that you can communicate in different parts of the world. Fantastic. Yeah. And that's something I'm, which I didn't do either. Which I, yeah. Now <laughs> I feel a little too old to do that effectively. You could learn Canadian English, wouldn't be too hard. <laughs> um, all right, Anne. Well, thank you so much okay. for joining the show today. Okay, uh, thank you. It's an absolute you. pleasure. Um, and if listeners want to find more about you, find out more about you and the work you've done, where can they? Where can they go to find that? So if you Google my name at the University of Buffalo, you should be able to get find sort of my contact information and some things about industrial and systems engineering there. And we, you know, 
uh, some of the other great things our faculty and students are doing also. Fantastic. Okay. We're just going to end off with a, uh, a mantra of the show, um, okay. and that is a, an answer that is typical for a human factor question, um, and that is, it depends. So, um, kind of three, we'll join me in saying that. Okay. One, two, it depends. Okay. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.